Hello, and welcome to Locutors of Trek, the podcast where we talk about the people, places, and things of Star Trek. So, replicate yourself a Romulan ale or your synthesis selection of choice and join us far beyond the stars. Locutors of Trek. Program initiated. Enter when ready. Well, hello there. Uh, it's uh, it's a new year, a new star date. Hello to you all. This is Dave, and I'm Devin. We are locutors of Trek, and, and plain, it's um, simple tailors. That's and you can right. Catch what a tragedy! I overran you there. That's okay. Ha. We 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 are talking about tragedy. But uh, you can catch us on Facebook, and you can catch us on YouTube. You can catch us on Patreon. You know, if you want to donate to our uh, humble podcast, we'll send you a sticker. <laughs> uh, yeah, stick to your ribs. Um, Let us talk tragedy. Indeed. So our our theme for the day is is the tragic. Uh, you know, we could move right from the book that we first see Cristobal Rios reading which is uh, Miguel de Unamuno's tragic sense of life, a wonderful uh, early 20th century uh, work uh, by the Spaniard who understands intelligence, consciousness in a certain way to be a, a dis-ease with the situation in the world. This is how it actually comes about. And so he understands life as ultimately shot through with a certain kind of tragic sensibility in that we are burdened with self-consciousness of our own mortality, meaning, purposes, short span upon this stage, right? Because mm. uh, tragedy really does refer to a stage, right? It comes to us from the ancient Greek tragoidia, mm -hmm. which literally means goat song. These, uh, in some respect, come from the, the, the mournful songs that the shepherds would sing over the hillsides. It's all so Sometimes to stay in contact, sometimes to relay information. You know, the whistling of the shepherds in France is maybe not dissimilar, but these often had words and would take on, you know, mythic themes, stuff that everybody knew and could talk back and forth in. You know, uh, Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra, right? And so they come into the religious festival of the Dionysia in ancient Athens as these melancholy tales, you know, centering specifically on the the sad moments in epic and myth where characters die, fail, or defeated and destroyed. If I can get shot, if I can lose my leg, anything can happen to me, Vic. I could die tomorrow. Uh, and some wisdom comes from cruel blows, as Creon says in, uh, in Antigone as he's led off stage at the mm -hmm. end. Well, I mean, we are going to see a lot of stage tragedies in a lot of these episodes we're going to discuss, you know. Absolutely. And since we're going to be talking about catastrophes and the downfalls of characters that we love and unhappy endings, mm -hmm. we thought we would list for you all our top five times Star Trek made us cry. A one, two, three. Yeah. Uh, do you want to start? Do you want 
Uh, yeah, why don't you start? Okay, I can start. So I I went with um, five instances in which I cried from sadness. Sure. Watching Star Trek. Sure. But before I do that, I thought I would special mention uh, one scene that kind of makes me well up a bit for a more positive reason. And that's just in the movie First Contact when the Enterprise just swoops in to take the hit. Oh, yeah. For the Defiant, and I'm always yeah, just like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, all the gangs back together now. Here we go, and it's just a yeah, it's excitement and oh yeah, yeah. no, that's yeah. a pretty that's a pretty sort of glorious moment, that's for sure. But okay. as far as my number five, um, I went with uh, Jean Luc crying muddy in a grape field to his brother Robert. <sighs> Get, gets me every time. Yeah, um, yeah. The acting from both of them is just superb. Yeah. And, and he just it's... has to admit it. What He wasn't enough. I wasn't Nothing could oh, yeah. have been enough, but he wasn't for sure. And that's what's, that's what's just breaking him down inside. They just took everything, you know? You know, we're talking about things that are somewhat downfalls or at least big changes for main characters, you know, mm. in a tragic sense. And like you say, that's the way he defined himself was being that unshakable person and uh-huh. being the one who's always strong enough and has enough willpower and there's only four lights. You know, that, that comes later. But uh, Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. We'll probably, about, we'll probably talk about that episode here in a bit. It's, but, uh, uh, yeah, what a great moment. Yeah. And it's just the catharsis from just two episodes ago, the best of both worlds and all that craziness. And Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you just it's, uh, You get to let it all out with Picard. In that episode, and I think that's why it gets you every time, or gets me every time. I, I I couldn't agree more. It's um, the other side of it that really gets me is that it becomes a moment of vulnerability and healing with Robert that um is equally desperately needed. My brother is a human being. After yeah, you know? uh, yeah, I didn't mention uh, that. And I think that. you know the the there, there's a there's a structural perfection in that uh, scene that is also just deeply moving as well, right? That they, they, that way that Star Trek likes to mirror big plots with small plots and microcosm with microcosmic action, you know, uh, they just do it really, really, really beautifully there. He's sort of doing tears of grief, I guess you would say, Absolutely. but also joy in with just coming together with his brother and that sort of thing. So it's, it's just a lot yeah. of emotions. Yeah. A lot of pain in the joy, you know, in a sense, it's a kind of, it's, it's, yeah, it's like when things get so crazy that it's just, it just opens up, you know? Absolutely. Um, following on, on that line, actually, uh, the first one on my list was, uh, another moment where, Everything's broken. Uh, everything's also okay. And that's when uh, Deanna and Picard meet on Nepenthe. Oh. Uh, in the sixth episode of the first season of Picard, or fifth episode, I forget which. Uh, and she just she just knows everything. She knows that it's all going wrong with him uh, all of a sudden. And she knows it very oh. fully. You oh, know, and she that, doesn't even speak. That they have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's. Um, oh, and she asked him what's wrong. Yeah. That one. Uh, yeah. And he says, "I'm fine," and then she's like, "Yeah." Uh, she just knows it. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, like lie to uh, everybody else, whew. but like don't even bother with me. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, it's making me well up right that, now. For God's sake, oh, that is a great one. And you know what? Even just uh, I think is just the next scene or a couple scenes later in that episode that also got me. That's not on my list. Is when she's just like I'm not as strong as I used to be, Jean Luc. And she, oh yeah, talking about uh, talking about well, their son, I thought he's, yeah. yeah. Whew, yeah, that's a rough scene. It's pretty yeah, amazing. It really and it's one of those things that I think in terms of um maybe not just in terms of a tragedy episode, but there's there there's a whole germ of a thing in this, which is um at least in my experience, which was trek before and after being a parent. Uh, no, I'm starting to feel that like, myself. <laughs> I'm sure that like you're you're what, 13, 14 months into this. Like it's yeah. it's gotta be hitting you in the feels quite frequently that way because the way they do parental and child relationships is some like in some episodes it's bizarrely stilted in some episodes it's just so deep that it uh yeah it just breaks your heart even when it's like beautiful and funny and awesome right like you can't help but get a little bit uh a little bit uh yeah wet around the the gills that way you know uh um, number three might have something to do with that <laughs> <laughs> all right let's go to number two first then number four but our second oh, four, whichever it is, you, like, you know, we do our, our, our ascending orders. Here. Ordinally, yeah. it's the second one. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Okay, my next one is uh, something we've an episode we've talked about several times on this show. Let's do it, and that's when Eamon Maritza is having his big speech and sort of breaking down himself, and he's just like you know talking about how he has to be punished. Just so, just so somebody is essentially, so it's like so the healing can begin, mm. and it's just such a powerful scene. And and yeah, the the parts Nana Visitor plays in that scene as well. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, that uh, one gets me every time too. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's quite um, it's just a, it's kind of a brutal scene in some ways. It's just, but it's again, a very really unique beautiful. situation. You know, yeah. it's not something you see in a TV show episode very often. That particular character in that particular situation he's putting himself in. It's just a very strange kind of concoction. And it's, Absolutely. It's, you it's know, the heavy. sort of afterlife of occupation is one of those things that's interestingly preoccupied the 20th century and and uh, clearly the first two decades of the 21st. And they managed to uh, evoke that in that episode from what, just about the year 2000, I'm guessing, 2001 or so? And I think really kind of prescient terms. You know, they're able to stake uh, positions there that are going to become problematic and interesting uh, on a very wide scale uh, in a popular sense uh, right around that time as well. Which oh, is do it? Yeah. That would have been like 1993. <laughs> was that 93? Yeah. Oh, really? Or, or maybe 292. Yeah, first season of DS9. Oh, it's first season. Oh, that's what I was yeah. thinking. It was later. Um, yeah, that's quite early. That's earlier still. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. But, so, uh, um, yeah. Uh, my number four here. Uh, I made a quick switch up because uh, uh, Picard and the Vines with Roberts is also on my list. So I'm going to make a quick uh, okay substitution so was, on the field here. That was uh, your original number four, Picard and Robert. No, that's my original number two way up the list. So I'll, I'm going to move that off and oh. put another number four in here, which okay. is the death of Kalar. Kalar! Kalar!
Oh. Uh, particularly the moment in which Worf realizes that Alexander's run to the end of the, the other end of the room. And he goes Turn back, back and finds him and he says, you have not seen death. Then look. Ah, uh, whoo. He hasn't had a Klingon parent before. And that is the moment when he gets one. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what he's a way so to get tiny. a Klingon parent. He, he, he seems Ooh. so young for that moment. In, yeah. In, 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 in human terms. Yeah. But, yeah. But it's just, it's, it's just drenched in blood and uh, combat. And uh, yeah, it's just so Klingon. Yeah. Uh, but in that sense, a tragedy as well, right? Because the moment then they really would have been coming together and had all had just really decided too, I think, in that episode as well. Yeah, it looked like a family was coming together and then. Yeah. Duras. 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 That's all I can say. Romulan collaborators. Indeed. All right. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> We here at Vandalay Industries find no problems with Romulan collaborators. No. <laughs> Would you like to be my Romulan latex salesman? <laughs> see, now there is someone we need to see in a new series of Picard. Down <laughs> on their lot, Alexander Romulan playing latex a Romulan salesman. latex salesman. See? Yeah. He plays Star Trek roles. Do it. Exactly. It'd be great. Apparently, he's coming back for Prodigy. Oh, really? Yeah, I wonder if he's playing the guy from Think Tank. Oh, he was so creepy. Man, that would be amazing if he was, actually. Yeah. So is that me, then? Yeah. Okay, my number three. Oh, see, this is one that I've watched since becoming a parent. And that is The Death of Lol. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that one. That should be on my list. Oh, man, no kidding. Woof. That oh, that's uh, way yeah. different after becoming a parent. I, yeah, I, I always thought it was sad. Who? Oh, more than that, even like when the the admiral <sighs> comes out, who has been, you know, an antagonist to Data mm. all this whole time, wants to take her away. Yeah, and he asks to help. He's like, Data, can I help you? And then it just disappears. They disappear in the cut scenes. And he, you know, and the admiral comes out and he's just quivering, and he's just like, Data's hands were moving so fast, I couldn't even see them. You know, but it didn't work, and that's tough. You had to let her go. And when yeah. in the moment, and and that moment with the admiral, and also the very next scene when Lol is dying, and he's just like, "I," she's like, "I love you, father," and he's like, "I wish I could feel it too," and she's just like, "I will feel it for both of us." And it's just, oh, oh man, <laughs> no kidding. Oh, <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> uh, all right. I'm gonna start crying. Oh, on the I, I'm now. sorry. I was cutting an onion over here. I don't know what I'm doing. I I should be doing that while we're podcasting. Oh, um, <laughs> all right. Here we go. Time to punch. Jeez, your we're going to be a mess again. by the end of this episode. Aren't we? <laughs> we're not going to do the rest of the episode. We're like, I can't do it. Oh, I need a break. Um, Let's try it again tomorrow after the top five. <laughs> um, so this one isn't so much on the theme of parenting, but we will come back on my list. There, uh, yeah. this is um, just a brilliant moment of personal personal collapse in the face of systemic and individual tragedy, which is Benny's breakdown in Far Beyond the Stars. Don't you understand? It is real! I created it! And it's real! Man, they're real. 
They're real. They're real. You know, he says about... I, uh, I, I am a human being. Yeah. Yeah. I am a human being, man. Whew. It's just Again, like, what else do I need to tell you? To like, why, why do I even need to say this? Like, is in his voice. It's like, it's just such a travesty and an injustice that I even have to say this sentence. It's all there. Yeah. One of the yeah. best acting performances I've ever seen. I love that scene. I mean, oh, I don't, I don't think you can. Uh, you can't watch it and remain unmoved. I don't think. Uh, and it, 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 the, the, the tangled up quality of that whole episode for me. You know, the way it kind of like just goes in and in and in on itself makes that scene so much uh, like harder, but elevates it too, right? Because you can you can feel the people just kind of peeling away from him in the room, mm -hmm. even though for a lot of that oh, yeah. scene, you can only see a couple of, of, of dim figures in the background, right? But you can just feel them peeling away from him uh, in their discomfort, and they just can't even manage solidarity yeah. until he literally falls right down on the floor. Try to stay calm, Benny. No, I'm tired of being calm. Calm never got me a damn thing. It's super uncomfortable. Yeah. But, yeah. And, you know, and editors is like, you know, calm down or I'm going to call the police. But anyway, we might be talking about that episode again in just a second. <laughs> um, so, it's possible. Um, so my number two is one of the uh, classic O'Brien Must Suffer episodes. And in a way, I think the most powerful one. Because it it is the most personally tragic okay. and it's the biggest downfall of that character, and that is hard time. Mm. And at the end of hard time, when he's about to kill himself because he he was almost hit Molly, and he's just he knows he's different. Yeah, like it, as soon as he comes back, he says, "I'm not the same person I used to be." You know. They're all not really paying attention to it. And he keeps hinting. He's just like, you need to stay away from me. Leave me alone. No one listens. And he's just like, I can't expect them to stay away from either my friends and my family and stuff. He's just like, so I need to take the initiative and yeah. protect them, protect them from me. And it's just when Julian comes in and stops him, the whole scene is just it's, a tear filled uh, it, one. It, but yeah, it's torturous, like watching him get to that point as well. You know, in terms yeah. of that oh, like, literal post-traumatic stress. And it's what Julian says to him. He's just like, don't let them take a good man from you. Like mm. you, He's like, you're a good man. He's just like, they can't take that from you. Don't let them rob you from that. He's like, that would be a, that would be letting them win, but also a, a greater injustice being done. Yeah, yeah. And just such a powerful scene, because Chief is such a strong character and capable character. It's hard to yeah. imagine him getting that far. And he's just, yeah, you're right, because he's just taken way out uh, past his limits he's just yeah. out into deep water and he's just he's he's sinking when julian he, comes in at that moment you know yeah uh, and but we, you know, doesn't usually those are places get there. people get to in life mm. and to be able to see it i i think especially depicted in a character who we otherwise experience as pretty much universally competent and heroic and pretty strong mm. and awesome badass dude uh to see him broken down that way uh and reach out for or be reached out to and finally be able to accept uh some kind of help that might be able to to meet him where he is which is the real problem for him yeah oh man oh, it was sort of chief's best of both worlds moment where it completely broke him down and, yeah very you know, much he says to julian if each hour had been you i would have killed you julian he's like yeah. you didn't mean to he's like no i did i wanted him to die and he's just like 
that's not who I am. He's like, they changed me. He thinks they did change me. And Julian's telling them, he's like, no, they damaged you. They have not changed you. We just need to figure that all out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and where the truth lies between those two accounts of O'Brien is sort of the, the project of the rest of his life. In that sense, you know, he's going to be trying to integrate that trauma for all the remaining decades he's alive, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, and honestly, it, it leads in brilliantly to, to my to my number two here, uh, which is decades of repressed trauma. Luoxana's breakdown in the Arboretum with Deanna. Oh. Uh, about, because about... of her sister who drowned in the, in mm-hmm. the pool. Uh, Kestra. Kestra. Yeah. That is uh, one of those episodes I remember watching when my uh, my son was about three months old. Uh, mm-hmm. We were sitting there watching that episode, and we just, my wife and I were Ooh. just both a mess by the end of it. I haven't watched that one since becoming a parent yet, but I'm going to now that you mention it. Good luck. Like, and I shouldn't speed. do that to myself, but I'm going <laughs> to. But yeah, she, um, uh, Majel Barrett there really does uh, a tremendous job of embodying the grief of parental bereavement in particular yeah yeah she just doesn't understand it at all she's just her she just keeps saying why like why yeah. like it, she's like this makes no sense and there's yeah. there's no real way to range it right it just has to become i don't know it's like you ever you ever see one of those trees that has like a stop sign stuck into it and it's grown around the stop sign mm-hmm. it, it's like that you know like there's no there's no fixing it it's just you've you've got to keep growing somehow but part of that growing in her case had had meant in her trajectory repression and i can imagine that being a huge problem for beta zeds who are telepathically open to each other at all times mm-hmm. so the ways in which they would repress in order for other beta zeds not to notice it yeah. i can only imagine the infolds and implex that has to uh, to uh to employ you know it's a deep dark vault yeah, absolutely. And she falls mm. way into it. That's yeah. a good one. I didn't think of that one, but I'm going to watch that one here. Uh, oh, it's a great episode. I mean, there is one episode of Star Trek I couldn't, it didn't go on my list, but I couldn't finish it since becoming a parent. I just wow. watched it the other, the other day, and I actually just, I was like, actually, I know how this ends, so I think I'm just going to stop here. There's about Which 10 one minutes is that? Left. Uh, the one where a trip into Paul's baby dies. Oh, God. Like, <laughs> oh, I, yeah. It, yeah, it, wasn't, that's, uh, it, it was just getting close to that, and it was already starting to get to me. And I'm like, I oh, no, I'm not like, right yep. now. I'm having that's a good, good day. You're not ruining my day today, Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. Friggin' uh, whatever they're called. What don't are they called again? Too Terra long Prime. Into that abyss, right? Terra Prime. Terra Prime. Yeah. Turds. Yeah. Terra oh, Turds. They should have called themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Turd Prime. Yeah, they were on the moon with the with the Tardum Moon Overlords, honestly. Yeah, really. Uh so all right. Oh yeah, so what's your number one? My number one, you already said it. It, it was Benny Russell. Oh really? Oh wow. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I've I've watched that one probably more than these other episodes, and still uh, I will never oh, develop yeah. the callus that gets me through that one with a dry eye, I don't think. Well, I think it, there's too much. There's no more like there are moments when like the, the person's um, agency or their mm-hmm. individuality is taken from them quickly. Like even yeah. with cheap, it felt like forever for him, but it was like 30 seconds or something. We're mm-hmm. like in with 
being assimilated by the Borg, you know. Yeah. It's just such a slow uh, train wreck happening to Benny of injustices. Yeah, yeah. And And that's just the ones we see, not to mention the systemic racism. Well, I was going to say, you know, he's, he's the character we're following out of all the other black characters that we see on screen in the episode who are in their own ways trying to ride that system that is grinding them the same way i think the the um uh the the jake character in that Mm -hmm. episode is the one of the ones that stands out to me because he plays in certain senses uh what has been often used as a kind of stereotype of jimmy the thief yeah exactly right this kind of this kind of hustler guy but you can see the same thing right he's just trying to stay safe in the game somehow right and he just figures if the rules aren't going to play for them, then why should I play by those rules? And it, it, it's hard to blame the guy in that sense, you know? Um, I don't need eggs. I need you to buy this watch. <laughs> <laughs> and it does. I like the through line with Jake's desire to be cool as well. You know, that like both of those, you know, uh, versions mm. of him share that. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, it's just, such uh, just all comes to a head for him there where you know they kill jimmy and, and he gets beat up by the police he loses his job all this happens within you know the time he gets out of the hospital essentially yeah and, uh, you're firing me i have no choice benny it's his decision well you can't fire me i quit yeah, exactly. Yikes. Right? It's, <laughs> it's, it's uh, incredible. There's all the humanity from everyone else. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Well, I mean, that that uh, that uh, leads me into my number one, which I, I was wondering whether we wouldn't share this as a number one. But Oh, wow. Uh, Your which number is, one didn't make my list. I can't yet. leave her here. Not like this. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. Wow. In the quarters on the Saratoga, where wow, uh, I forgot about that one. Benjamin Cisco loses Jennifer and almost loses Jake because he nearly loses his head entirely, right? And it's all just coming crashing down, and they keep bringing him there, and he's like, oh "Why God. do you bring me here? Why do you live here? You know, who? Oh, so you're talking about more his reliving of it? Well, um, I think with the prophets I, rather I, than I, when we first see it in the beginning of the episode. Because we see that scene. It's more an insane. We see it like three or four times over the course of that, don't we? The episode. The first moment is pretty shocking and it's brutal, and it makes it's not as drawn out as is the other one. No, but the return where they bring him to it and he has to confront that he's mm-hmm. lived there in that right. moment all those years. Um, it's not linear. Yeah, it's not linear. <laughs> <laughs> he's like no, it's not. He, he no. just cries and cries. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's like, you got me there, prophets. I've been trying to tell <laughs> yep. you I am linear, and it's not linear. No, uh, that's a good one. Wow, I can't believe I didn't have that one on my list. Yeah. That is a good one. That's but that's good. that's Star Trek for you. Yeah, it no, it's got it, moments it, to uh, it carries a lot of uh, of the human experience within it. You know. Uh, well, that's our. Uh, Low Q tour top ten, I guess you could call it. Indeed, indeed. Top five combined with our powers combined, we create a top ten. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're like the Voltron of lists. Yeah, yeah. One, two, three. So I guess now you know. I thought uh, 
we could talk about the three greatest tragedies in all of Star Trek. Okay. Those being, of course, whenever Quark loses profit. Because <laughs> there's nothing more tragic than um, losing profits. It is. As you know, there's nothing more important than short-term quarterly gains. Well, I mean, so says uh, so says the Blessed Exchequer. Indeed he you does. Know, indeed he does. <laughs> uh, um, and, uh, and of course, um, Jordy's love life. Oh, yes, I say yes, yes, yes. The unrequited okay. dream. Um, and um, anytime, of course, when anytime Stanford loses at water polo, certainly in the finals. <laughs> that does lead yeah. to a despondent archer. That's so, true. You know, um, or perhaps those tragedies are too uh, tragic to, for us to even. They may really be get too weighty today. for us to yeah. tread on. It's yeah. true. They may need their own episodes. We should not so, reach for things too high for us, you know. So why don't we talk about some episodes of Star Trek that have catastrophes or downfalls or unhappy endings? And I was, we might as well start with the original series. Sure, sure, man. And I was thinking uh, one episode that may meet this criteria. And I think we're going to come across a lot of different types of tragedy here Mm -hmm. in these episodes. Yeah, because it doesn't have to follow that classic definition of you know everybody dies at the end like hamlet you know? no and i think uh, our, we, uh, our we top fives may have had a lot of deaths but you know not really lol dying i had in mine and stuff like, so yeah. yeah so you know, some of them are it's more not, it's not all about that in that sense yeah yeah or personal tragedy. um there's the city on the edge of forever that's certainly oh, yeah. a tragedy yeah to let a person die for the sake of the future but there's there's no happy ending there. <laughs> no, no, yeah. it's just they they just have to lose. And you know that's one of the definitions of tragedy that I really like. Um, a, a number of years ago, I did a lot of work on Greek tragedy. I used to do some lectures and stuff on it. And, mm-hmm. uh, one of the one of the goings over of that that I really found helpful was that maybe the most sort of uh, simple but deepest sense of Greek tragedy is that. In tragedy, the configuration of the story is that the good encounters the good, and the good loses. Mm-hmm. And you know these are substantial goods running into each other. And as you say, somebody's got to lose. Something's got to give, right? And the solution will never be uh, perfect. Be it might be beautiful or poetic, but it won't be good. <laughs> you know, or even if it's yeah. good, it won't be unpainful. Yeah, Edith Keeler must die. Indeed, Edith Keeler must die. Yeah. You know, and there's also the uh, tragedy of one of your favorite characters. Oh, Romulan Commander! One Romulan Commander. <laughs> Romulan Commander! He's my uh, favorite named character in Star Trek, because I don't have to remember his name. He's not <laughs> the Napoleon guy, he's Romulan Commander. And Dave will remember ranks all day. So. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Give me an name, and I'm like, uh, is he Bolian? I don't know. What are you talking that about that Bolian guy? Uh, yeah, Balance of Terror is a is a beautiful <laughs> uh, other way of looking at tragedy because you're right. This is the good of Federation imperative, the good of the Romulan Empire, and they have to make a sortie. Right, the, the Romulans need to make some statement that they're still there somehow, uh, in Can their own just... minds at least. 
and personally, it just it just so doesn't need to happen because Kirk and uh, Romulan Commander are telling each other how they could be friends. Yes. Like, yeah, we would have been friends under different circumstances, he says, you know? Yeah, they're just admiring uh, each other's strategy and, yeah, you know, uh, willing to defend their their side. And uh, it's just, but it has to end badly. It's like this good and this good. They're both just trying to do what they have to do, like you mentioned. Absolutely. And the, the, yeah. <laughs> and, it, you know, it may not fit every tragedy, but it fits that one really well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there's there's an interesting sort of, um, you know, that one has that sort of note of you know that uh, that old Roman saying you know dulce et decorum est pro patria mori. Mm-hmm. Right? It's sweet and good to die for or fitting to die for the the fatherland. And the Roman the Romulans certainly embody that characteristic in a really deep way. Uh, yeah. They're very even interested in in dying in that fashion. You know. Um, yeah. He's just like that's not our way. it's not gonna work yeah no uh you know another uh tragic one on the original series is let this be your last battlefield that's the one with uh beal and loci oh yes uh it it, this might be the most tragic ending ever like so you know they've yeah beal's been pursuing loci all this time and Lokai keeps getting people to help him because he's being impressed by Beale's people, the people with mm. the the white on the left side. Right? I, I, think I'm so. not, I don't know. I get that confused. Yeah. It's like it's like, look at me, we're so different. He's just like uh, they're like, I don't get it. He's like, You're both white on one side and black on the other side. He's like, but he's white on the right side. He's just like, Are you guys <laughs> blind? Like, it's a wonderful but, allegory of you know humanity's problems about melanin. But absolutely, you know, you know, let that be your last battlefield. It, 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 it doesn't end up being their last battlefield. They end up returning to their planet, and it's just recently been destroyed. They've destroyed themselves. Yeah, and they're just going back to keep on at it, you know. And they're just going to keep fighting. And Kirk's just like, "There, you see, you don't have to fight anymore. Your whole planet is dead. So you know, the grudge is settled." Like (laughs) they're like, "No," like. I must pursue him. And like, it's like, Oh my God. It's like, this is the tragedy of the planet destroying itself based on racial prejudice. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and the, the equal conviction of a certain necessity in it. Right. Which I don't know why I brought it to mind, but uh Tosk has a similar uh, taste of the necessity of the thing to it. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Uh, when he says I am Tosk, he's fully accepting that he is the hunted creature. That's enough out of you, Tosk. Right? <laughs> I, I, have, I have told them nothing. Oh, man. <laughs> but the other thing, I, 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 am I wrong in thinking that it's uh, the guy who plays Loki is also the yeah. Riddler in another That's classic Beale. 60s series? Beale. That's Beale, Beale the guy who's yeah. pursuing Loki. Yeah, yeah. The guy who just must pursue him, even though his planet's dead. So, like... Like, I can't believe that doesn't like that's another tragedy in that episode that they are so like that shows you why that planet destroyed itself if they are in any indication. Like, if well, that's not so something that can make you just hatreds, right? take a minute, like they don't even take a minute to take in the fact that their planet's been destroyed, they just keep going right at it. Nothing, no, it's just added it, to the list of grievances, right? Oh. Uh, 
yeah, it's it's it it really is a kind of a, a beautiful allegory of the madness of that kind of yeah that kind of hatred, you know. And of course, there's um, something I you know probably could have made either one of our lists earlier. I'm guessing, which is the uh, death of our dear Mister Spock in oh, the yeah. Wrath of Khan. Yeah, I have been and forever will be your friend. Yeah, the, yeah. What a uh, what a beautiful moment. But tragic that he had to you know give his life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he, but you but know, one of those beautiful tragedies yeah. as well, you know. But yeah, it's, but it's, 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 it's a hard it, scene. It's tragic because it was all over friggin' revenge. Yeah. Like like the so like the the reasons for the whole situation even happening were like the tragedy. Like, yeah, and you know that, that Khan's sense of vendetta. his own substantial good would be that like you didn't let me take your ship when I woke up from having been a murderous warlord who blasted himself <laughs> off into space. Like the, the absurdity of Khan's position in the whole thing is like, to me, it's sort of amazing that Ricardo Maltalban is able to just like push that whole thing. Like you believe Khan the whole movie yeah. and in the original episode, you believe Khan as well. That's one of the brilliant things about him as a character. His his whole thing is like oh, composed yeah. almost ninety nine percent bot guano, right? Oh. But like it, Khan doesn't that bother with the, holds together somehow because he doesn't bother with the troublesome weighing his actions against Kirk's. Kirk oh. wronged him, but you know he's not trying to. He's not, doesn't have a scale. Of, oh no, of, no. There's of, like there's an absolute sense of justification for him his own actions in Khan's mind. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I am Khan. Just I as I would, a Tosk would say, I am Tosk, he would just say, I am Khan, and it would mean something for him. Like, like he's directly or indirectly responsible for, like, deaths of millions, right? Yeah. Or, like, lots, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, That's kind of worse than just being marooned on what they thought was a good planet. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Turns out it wasn't a good planet, jerk. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't you know make quite a good, as good a tagline as from hell's heart i stab at thee it was a bad it's planet jerk face that's uh, why yeah. the enterprise needed a meteorologist oh yeah you know all that space mm -hmm. weather mm -hmm. yeah they'd have been like well you know it could be a storm that's gonna blow the atmosphere right out of this thing here in a year or so like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> a space storm, you say? Well, entire nation. Uh, Blow the yeah. atmosphere away, you say. <laughs> well, wouldn't that be a pickle? <laughs> uh, it's a of a pickle. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, those uh, were some of the uh, more tragic moments of the original series that indeed stood indeed. out to me. I mean, I think, you know, there's there's some... There's some really great uh, episodes that sort of point in that direction in the animated series, but it's been so long yeah. since I've watched it that I'm not sure I could confidently comment on any of them. Well, uh, that one with the mushroom fungus people is pretty cool. Is that Ooh. the one also that has the giant Spock in it? Is that a tragic one? I can't remember. <laughs> well, the tragedy of their life, that they're just all, you know, their species is dying and stuff, and it's sort of their own fault, I think. But uh, I was thinking of the one, uh, you might be able to tell me the name of the episode, but the one where Spock goes back in time and has to, oh, yeah, his beloved pet Tachaya has to die yeah, and yeah, basically yeah, yeah. get things back the way they were anyway. So it was just a senseless tragedy that didn't need to happen, but just yes. his interference caused the disruption. And to set it right, Tachaya 
had to die and that's just that's real sad can't remember yeah it's it's a very um yeah it's one of those sad time loop things you know Mm. Uh, what episode is that spock uh yesteryear oh yesteryear of course course. uh tng dave you're a fan yeah where uh oh man you know tragedies abound oh well I'll tell you one that stands out to me as uh, a lover and defender of biodiversity okay. in my daily life is Silicon Avatar. Here we have a creature that, as far as we know, maybe the only one of its kind or one of the very few. Suffice it to say, a creature vulnerable to extinction. Is this the Bags of Mostly Water episode? No, no. This oh, is the Crystalline Entity. Oh, yes, of course. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And our, our our dear doctor who decides he's going to destroy the crystalline entity mm-hmm. who Picard even says, you know, the sperm whale of Earth will eat thousands of cuttlefish, but it's not evil. It's feeding. So we can't yeah. judge this crystalline entity in the same way as we would, you know, the Romulans. But yeah. to me, that's just super sad. It, they're finally starting to communicate with it, which just could have opened up such an interesting second episode in my mind oh it would have been amazing to, yeah. to communicate yeah. with such a, a a strange creature as that and how they deal with having to have that hard conversation now like they're gonna be like well we don't want you to keep killing all the people on these planets and it's gonna be all like well i have it's the galactus thing you know it's yeah star, Trek, star trek's galactus yeah, yeah yeah so what do they need they need the infinite nullifier is that what it's called the ultimate nullifier ultimate yeah. nullifier dang it. yeah that's right uh, Where's Norin Rad when you need them? <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, that's a great episode. I forgot all about. You know, one of the that's pieces a super of tragedy, tragedy in that is is the number, the sheer number of warning signs you see in her over the episode. You know, but mostly uh, in front of Data, and he doesn't get things like that. Well, like, and that's one of the interesting pieces, right? Data You're the only or Deanna really to that. would have been right on to her. And in yeah. no sense, what's going on just a few seconds too late. She's just like, oh, no, something's very wrong. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Senses clearly she's paying more attention, just like everybody else is, to the crystalline entity. <laughs> she's probably trying to use her empathic powers to see if she can feel anything from it, I'm sure. And, you know, moment. it's 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 hard to you know want to sympathize with that doctor in that episode but this that's another episode that i've just watched since becoming a parent oh man and from her perspective where she like her grief over her lost son and what he was thinking and the moment where she says were his last thoughts wondering why i didn't come to him yeah you know like yeah like those those are thoughts you could torture yourself with into an exquisite madness yeah so Uh, Absolutely. She, can, she can be sympathized with, but it's just the loss of the crystalline entity is just a, such a tragedy for me as well. It's such, yeah, the whole I mean, thing I, you're right. Like, I, I have empathy for her situation, but not for her actions in that sense, no. right? Yeah, I can't really sympathize with her actions, no. It's just another um, thing, like the Spock thing. It's just another person dying for revenge that didn't mm-hmm, have anything to mm-hmm. do with it. Well, but the crystalline you, entity did. Speaking but, of senselessness, in that vein of tragedy, I think mm. we could also look at Skin of Evil. Oh yeah, uh, which it is just. I mean, we know that. I mean, part of that is that Denise Crosby wanted off, but mm-hmm. and I wonder whether there wasn't some sort of poetic symmetry in that in the writers saying this doesn't really make sense. Let's give her a death that sort of doesn't make direct sense in that sense, right? Uh, but her death is so is so like in in a really literal sense absurd that. Uh, 
Oh yeah. It really is hard to square. You know, and it, it just, just Armus just does it. In in Armus, he's just like they channeled all their negativity into me and then just left me here. Like he's yeah. a hard character to sympathize for, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, well, I'm, that's pretty much the worst. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean that the abandonment would be pretty awful itself, right? Yeah. Uh like you're the worst stuff ever. Now stew in that for eternity. Uh, yeah, we're touching on a lot of revenge ones. It's a lot of a yeah. lot of vengeance creates a lot of these sad well, situations. And, you know, even in the uh, the Greek tragedies themselves, uh the great Orestius cycle where uh Orestes ends up killing, you know, at least a couple of family members. Uh and uh, you know the the cycle involving, you know who we're talking about, Oedipus, the Oedipus cycle with Antigone mm-hmm. and the uh his sons who end up killing each other and all sorts of stuff. There's an enormous amount of revenge implicit i think in the logic of tragedy if you could call it that you know that it's a tragic thing i guess yeah there's a point past which people get carried by that need for a requital that is just not going to happen in real experience and you know? it's not the healthiest way to go it's, it's definitely no, not absolutely. your best way out of that darkness you know there's an interesting theory of grief that way that um speaks of humans as having two essential orientations uh, in that respect, a loss orientation and a growth orientation. And the loss orientation will tend to be experienced as moments when the memory of the the lost one or the lost object or situation comes up persistently. And it just, you just like can't stop thinking about, you know, whoever it is, you know, my grandmother that died or whoever it is. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other times when you'll find that you, haven't thought about them for a while for a stretch, right? And things are okay. And then you're like, well, well, why am I thinking about them now? Well, you've swung back into that loss orientation. And in a in a sort of evolutionary psychology sense, the loss orientation is about grounding us in the present. That uh, you're here. This is your situation. They're not here. You have to be in this moment, right? But the growth orientation is when we're properly in the moment, we can then begin to look out in uh, mm-hmm. in a in a, a sort of profitable way for us that way, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of survival, whereas the loss orientation, the new orientation, up, right? Exactly, right. So <laughs> the the alternation between them, uh, I forget the researcher's name now who who, who described this. Let's uh, call him but, Dave. Uh, sure, this uh, this <laughs> unknown Dave, as we'll we'll call him. Uh, that's that's sort of the way that grief oscillates and works, right? Because they were very struck by the notion of the waves that occur in grief, mm-hmm. uh, and why why would ex- we would experience that way, not just some sort of intense, awful period, and then like, boop, we're good, let's keep moving. But it doesn't tend to do like that. You know, even many years later, people will get an access of grief because the person comes back to them in some moment or some reason, right? And that often the depth of grief is is opposite to the depth of relationship or depth of love, right? So. Mm-hmm. It's not that bad a thing. It just hurts like crazy. Well, and you uh, mentioned those that can't let those thoughts go. And mm. perhaps the most uh, poignant example of that is in The Wounded with our uh, dear Captain Maxwell. Yeah. Yeah. His whole story, his personal downfall, is one of the most tragic, I think, that we we see in Star Trek, really. Because he doesn't get really get the upswing there's no recovery no. 
No. There's just there's acceptance by the end. But that's and, basically uh, as far as he gets. Am I wrong that in thinking see. that he loses his family on Setlick 3? Yeah, it was during Setlick somehow. Yeah. yeah. So, because uh, I remember there's this, this moment, they're, they're, Maybe they're they fighting over the control of a town or, or something, right? Because um, I think his family was living on the planet, perhaps, maybe, or resident well, maybe. down there at the time. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, uh, what a horror show. And that, the other side of that, to me, you know, the interesting side is the, the way in which that episode meditates on how that kind of loss and tragedy and grief is played out among essentially military personnel. Because mm. uh, Maxwell and O'Brien really understand each other as soldiers, comrades yeah. in arms. Uh, and there's another sensibility they seem to have adopted in that, which is that you just get right back in it. Right? He, what does O'Brien say? He never took a day off. Yeah. And, and, you know, and if it, somebody it, doesn't take a day off in the face of that, you're sitting there thinking, that's because you're looking at a walking shell of a person who's just going through the motions of their yeah. life. The person and hoping submitted. that's just going to force them back into shape. Yeah, man. Whew. What an episode. Poor Stompy. Uh, yeah. The boy to the war. war oh, man. What a great... Uh, yeah. One of the best episodes. Yeah. Um, as yeah. far as a, another episode, I guess, where we see a, a, a breaking of, of a character is, of course, chain mm -hmm. command. Sure. He saw five lights, and it, it it's a it's a really brilliant episode. You know, it it, it figures so much of the uh, the way in which, um, particularly twentieth century totalitarian states, became expert at dismantling people, mm -hmm. juridically, legally, you know, like or morally. Uh, in terms of their category as citizen or individual, mm -hmm. right? Just just pull all the pieces off, right? Now, Picard uh, suffers most of the pain in that episode. Mm -hmm. But I think the, tr the true tragedy of that episode is Goma Dread, which is why, you know, Picard says he pities him. Yeah. He still sees him as that small child. But, you know, the society that we, you know, get so many glimpse glimpses of. Sure. The shambles that the Cardassian society seems to like perpetually be in, and certainly has been in for for, I mean, even Garrick points it out in 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 uh, a stitch in time. I think he's he points out that they were in that mode for what eighty a hundred years, yeah, uh, before they got to Bajor. I think so. They've been at this for quite some time in yeah, terms of this they, expansionist mode. Yeah, they and they mentioned it. I think a few of them mentioned, or at least a couple of them, that it's a, was expansionist out of necessity. Like they yeah. had nothing. They're like we, we we were all starving, as Madrid was as a kid on the street. Yeah, you know the whole. There, there a lot. Maybe know, my uh, dating is not not as good there, right? Maybe maybe it was more recently than that that they turned to this. You know, it doesn't take long for populations under conditions of sufficient stress, particularly profound economic and food distress to um, give over all sorts of uh, ideals in favor of strong centralizing authoritarian power the 20th century is a is a, an excellent yeah. uh, place to look to find uh, sufficient evidence of that in at least four if not many more states around the world you know? Is the inner light a tragedy? 
Well, ooh. Well, in what sense would you posit it that way? I mean, are we talking about is the it tragic of that the probe itself? Maybe like that a society is reduced to just this one time capsule, I guess, that only one person can hear. Is it tragic that once Picard dies, that society truly will die? Yeah, it's an odd strategy as a society for sure. Uh, but in a weird way, that probe it's one of those is, beautiful ones. Yeah, it's one really beautiful, beautiful because it's not unlike Voyager. You know, if somebody ran into Voyager with that gold record disc on it and that sort of stuff, they might well experience it as tragic that this is a relic of a society they might that might already be extinct. Mm. Uh, but I guess to me the interesting difference is that that planet sent the probe out knowing this was their sort of last will and testament. And, well, yeah, it, I, I think it definitely means that it's it's tragic. And in a certain sense, Picard gets and loses an entire family and species in that episode, which is also kind of tragic as well. But the flute and the probe itself mm-hmm. are also a kind of beautiful figuring of transcendence. You know, I... Um, how did they do the flute? <laughs> I always wondered how the probe. They must have did like some flute. really good box on the. Yeah. It must just be like some time capsule on the probe and like hermetically sealed with forty Layer. layers of bubble wrap or something, man. Something uh, space bubble wrap, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but there, there's an interesting um, uh, clinical term for um, what we would call sort of optimal psychological health at end of life, which is called gerotranscendence. Uh, mm-hmm. It was. Um, coined by a by a researcher named Joan Erickson who spoke of it as this sort of final gathering stage of life where uh, all the material from earlier developmental stages including their various dynamic questions can come back up for reflection and readjustment and uh, narration and rumination and uh, reflection right and part of that is growth toward, whatever the end is. And so you find, and, and when I've met people of advanced old age who are gerotranscendent, as I you know, clinically mm-hmm. might describe them, these are people that sometimes freak folks out because they'll, they'll look at you with great equanimity and say, yeah, sure, I want to die. Because mm-hmm. they're not afraid of it. They know, like, they know this is a natural moment. They're like, yeah, like, I'm not looking to do it this afternoon. But yeah, of course, I'm like a hundred years old Mm. what do you think i want to do Mm -hmm. (laughs) apart from you know have some soup and be comfortable and you know have pleasant experiences and and have meaning and relationships in my life i'm also at this point in some ways looking forward to laying this Mm -hmm. life down and it's a really curious moment for anybody to encounter who's in any different developmental stage of their life uh, yeah. And it happens oh, when other, I encountered it, I was just like, yeah, well, I believe you. <laughs> yeah. It just sounds perfectly 100% sincere and not like angry or scared or anything. Just like, yep, yeah, you know, yeah. tired of living. And often you'll hear people you. say, you know, I've had a good life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not complaining. I've, I've had the whole run. Uh, but it's an interesting kind of equanimity to, to develop over time, you know? Uh, and and quite quite beautiful to experience, but yeah, I I see that there's a there's a real noble tragedy going on in that episode. So what do you think about um, 
Well, here's a here's a silly question. Do you think there's any yeah. tragedy in Deep Space Nine? No. <laughs> okay, moving on. Let's go on. Uh, Voyager, then. <laughs> no, you know what? But, but, uh, I, I like both those questions, but before before we move on, just quickly, one of the great sure. Romulan tragedies of TNG was the defector. Okay. Oh, interesting. Because yeah. th- that guy was just trying to do the right thing, and it just turned out it wasn't the right thing because it was all just bullshit that they planted yeah. to screw him over. Yeah, he disinformed quite some, thoroughly, right? It was, yeah. it was some twisted, you know, backroom deal stuff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, he, and, and, he, and he takes his own life as well because he, there's no going back for him. No, and, and uh, the tragedy of his situation is that he knows he's been, he's dealt with himself for them as a mm. useful pawn in their plot, you know? Yeah. That's got to hurt. Yeah, that one sucks. Yeah. The only other one I'd mentioned true. from TNG that we haven't mentioned in our lists or already is the is um, the Outcast with the, the uh, uh, one-gendered species. And, oh, right. Uh, and right yeah, there, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, kind of falls in love with one of them, and then they just yeah. wipe her brain, or, you know. Yeah. And so so yeah. nothing changes. Like usually a Star Trek TNG episode, they they do something to make the situation better. Usually. Well, and here and comes the prime directive on in that, in that sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, one where the prime directive really kind of grinds your yeah, gears. It, it bites them pretty hard there. And the, yeah, and it really it, it, it that has an effect on, on Riker going forward, I think, honestly. You know, I'm going to avoid both your questions entirely, and why don't we move instead from DS9 and Voyager to Enterprise for a moment? All right, we'll go because... backwards to go forwards. Yeah. Well, we mentioned a couple of those episodes already that uh, I think are just loaded with tragedy. Those last couple of episodes of the Terra series. Prime, and yeah, yeah, and even Terra Nova's uh, kind of <laughs> tragic, where the Novans were that colony that left Earth. Oh yeah. And they go to this planet yeah. that they find. Got at us. Got at us good for them and yeah and then they get there and the sun like an asteroid hits them i believe is what it was yeah an asteroid yeah so like that's something they get showered with radiation or something like that and uh, yeah rough luck man <laughs> yeah like and, and planet, they developed sweet. mythology about people from earth who decided to try and kill them uh yeah. and it, yeah it's a really interesting uh sociological episode as well you know mm. Uh, I like but, it as as almost the creation of a. It's sort of like a, the notion of what do they call it? A cargo cult, those sorts of things. Mm. The uh, the 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 extreme modification of a society because of some singular incident that they just mm-hmm. that the, that becomes a kind of foundation for the society. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, kind of like um, <laughs> the the Picard. But, oh uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. True. Uh, but you know, we we see the tragedy of the one gendered species in uh, TNG to the plight of the three gendered species in enterprise with the cogenitor. Oh yes. And that's a, another tragic situation is like the third gender is enslaved and kind of in the sense that when we were talking about that episode, I believe in the last episode where there was the mank. Oh yeah. They were, they weren't allowed to live anywhere nice or anything, but they thought it was fine. They're like, no, we're, we're treated well and stuff. It was kind of one of those situations for the, the Where the horizons gender. hadn't really been allowed to broaden mm-hmm. very much either, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, Trip never minds his business. So, Trip, uh, <laughs> I just remember that yeah. first episode, or I think it was, Trip's just yelling at that lady who's like weaning her child onto oxygen. Oh, yeah. Why don't you cut it out, lady? <laughs> it's just like, 
dude. <laughs> She's just wheeling her son. <laughs> like, he even gets this information, and he's still a jerk about it. He's just like, well, yeah, you could have fooled me. Oh, yeah. They're, like, they, oh, man. The humans in that first season of uh, Enterprise are like, they're so reactive to everything, eh? So bad it's at incredible. Starfleet. Yeah. <laughs> so yep. bad at not, Starfleet. Uh, not sure they're officer material no. at the Academy. <laughs> they wouldn't be serving on the Enterprise in Picard's there. Not the 24th century, no. They'd have some more work to do. But yeah, yeah. Um, I think the saddest one and maybe the most tragic in Enterprise, though, is similitude. Now remind me of that episode. That's um, the one where they trip is injured, like gravely injured. But Phlox knows of this organism that, if injected with DNA, will live out the life cycle of the. Oh right! And they uh, build the clone. But it lives out its life cycle in like twelve days. But it becomes sentient in in, in all in this time. Right. So they have to tell him what's happening. And then he finds out that there's a paw of slight, very small chance that they could do this other procedure. And instead of bringing Trip back, he could just live out a regular lifespan as Trip, right. which in a way seems like the same thing. He has all his memories and everything. But Archer's just like, no, to me, that's not the same thing. He's just like, I need Trip. He's like this because this is during the Zindi thing. So Archer's uh-huh. a little extra militant. He's just like, no, we need to complete our mission in the enterprise needs trip not you trip i need trip not like a fake trip even if it lives out his lifespan with his memories and everything uh-huh, uh-huh. it's like i need the i need the the genuine article because i know i can trust it i guess is where he's going yeah from. well and there's something about the there's something crazy about the the ability to copy the uh distinctiveness of an individual life form right mm-hmm. uh down to the level of like you know how they pick up a fork and articulate words um that i think is just like ontologically really unsettling like what you could just mm-hmm. copy paste me then yeah. like what what is what is this here and you know the thomas Riker episode of tng asks mm-hmm. a similar question in a different way but you know what is the what's the actual substance of a person mm-hmm. in that well, regard becomes that issue and uh it's something that, that i mean you know we deal with that in the two vix episode of voyager in a certain i was sense, about to say the opposite oh. <laughs> way you know uh Dude. which i thought was a really cool take on that on that uh yeah it was like the enterprise's two vix episode in a way yeah but janeway comes to almost the identical conclusion right it's like nope i need and you for her i can see why she was like no i need tuvok i really need tuvok back he's just like and, part of how she yeah operates as a captain you know yeah uh, and it is a little different too where they were like two people fused into one rather than but you know what you're saying is just like you're not trip trip isn't dead he's lying in the infirmary right now so if you're trip then who's that guy he's like no that's trip he's like yeah yeah, yeah. but it's it's certain tuvix is certainly a tragedy it's, absolutely like, you know yeah sim kind of comes around a bit to their uh-huh. position Whereas Tuvix never really does. He doesn't want to die, and you know, nor should he. But well, and, and neither should yeah, Tuvix exactly. and Neelix. It's just one of those no-win scenarios. It's a Kobe yeah. Um, and, and you're right. It is very is uh, very much is a Kobayashi Maru. Uh, hmm. And the way they play that last scene, where they're sort of walking him down to the transporter, is Oof. oh man, 
like he's walking his green mile there. That's that's uh, that's an execution, and we all yeah. know it by the end of the episode. Janeway's putting on her stern face. You know, she's just like, "Don't anybody get emotional here." You look at my face, and you reflect that. She's mm-hmm. like, "It's time to." Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're doing this, and nobody yeah, else gets this. choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, but they do. Like two of them do. They stand in front of her and try to block it. It's like the doctor. Yeah, they try. Yeah, they try. But yeah, it's, that's uh, a, that's a crazy one. Yeah, isn't see like I could have done my own top ten earlier. I think of the ones. <laughs> because... The trouble is, the more of them you think up, the more, uh, the more fecund a topic, uh, sort of loss and grief and tragedy are in narrative terms specifically. Because this is another one that I, I this has maybe come up a few times before the end of this episode, but another one that I've watched since becoming a parent, and that's real life in Voyager, the one where the doctor has his holographic family. Oh, right. And Bellana's like, you know, you just, it's not realistic. You need to make it more realistic. And of course, Bellana goes way too far because <laughs> or makes it far too random with no like, you know, safeties. Sure. But, uh, his holographic daughter is injured and is going to die. And it's, it's a, that's a hard, it was a hard scene for me to watch actually. Cause that's she's asking, episode. he has to, he's telling her what's going to happen. And she's asking him, what's that going to be like? And it's just like, Ooh. Yeah, yeah, Ooh. yeah. Uh, it's tragic too because it stops him from really pursuing that level of humanity where he was sort of the data character at first, but you know, the one who wants to yeah. be human in basically every way he can be. Where the doctor's just like, actually, in some ways, I kind of like being a hologram. I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I can imagine that would cause you to sort of pull back from that to some degree, you know? You guys deal with your whole horrible family tragedy thing. Um, just being yeah. sick, bay. Just, just singing opera. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, that that's a tough one. Yeah. And another one is drone. Oh yes, the uh, oh. the uh, the the drone that gets fused up with the doctor's holographic matrix, right? That's the one. Yeah. Oh. Talk about an altruistic moment, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. And maybe the noblest single drone. Borg drone we ever see. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Who's yeah. really still fully a Borg drone, I guess is what I mean, you know? Hugh had yeah, come out just, and Seven of Nine comes out, you know? He's just not connected to the hive. Yeah. It's basically the only difference. And he's got future technology. Yeah, he's... Uh... Oh, what a I like when he just he beams himself aboard the cube. He's just like, uh, I have my technology is superior. Go away. They're like, <laughs> no. He's like, okay, then. <laughs> he just turns around he's like all right well here's what i'm gonna you know blows up the cube with him in it but he puts a shield around himself and survives for like well no they were gonna save him and that's the crazy part is he won't let them they're like they will pursue you because they know i have all this future tech yeah so they will never stop pursuing you unless i'm gone and it's so, a uh, it's a piece of reasoning a borg could do that yeah. a human won't do as easily i don't uh perhaps you know so like this, this unit is irrelevant. No, ultimately, like, uh, seven repeats a line from that she says earlier, just because he grabs her arm. And that's what, you're hurting me, but it's because he he's dying. Won't let yeah. help, and she's just like you're hurting me. And he goes, "You will adapt." Yeah. Ooh, that's Some a good great wisdom right there. Yeah. He, what a great one-off character he was. I don't know yeah. if you mentioned that in our one-off character list from a while ago, but we need to Oh, do yeah, no kidding. Again. He'd make that list for sure, yeah. 
But another tragedy in Voyager that I quite enjoy because I uh, enjoy the actor and the character is the uh, uh, tragic redemption yet death of one lawn suitor. Like, I think they really did a good job of sort of redeeming that character. And and it's interesting to watch Lon Suter come to accept who he is in the course of his redemption, knowing that who he is, I mean, in the words of another franchise, isn't very nice. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Uh, I wouldn't know the uh, franchise you're referring to. Oh, I was thinking about, you know, I'm the best at what I do and what I do isn't very nice. uh, yes, I, I know. Just a, <laughs> I, just I may a... have an X Men podcast. I'm gonna plug what? later. Yeah. <laughs> Where did that come from? Um, flash it up on the screen that no one can see. Oh, look at that! Ooh. Subliminally quick. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a that's a great episode. Lon Suter is. I mean, he's one of my favorite actors. Anyway, his turns on X Files were absolutely terrifying. Uh, I just enjoy pretty much every. Every scene I see him in, honestly. So I can't go there. Who are you talking about? This is going to go badly. Uh, when I first, Voyager? when we first meet Lon Suter, oh, uh, oh, I had oh, Brad Dorf. Was he yeah, in? Uh, right? What did you say he was in? Oh, the X Files. Oh, was he? He's a oh. terrifying serial killer. Absolutely oh, terrifying sense. serial killer. Has this sort of possible psychic connection to Scully. you know there may be another beloved franchise where he plays a terrifying serial killer in dolphin <laughs> is it possible mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure he may have played terrifying serial killers in several franchises you could say dealing with those kazon on voyager was child's play <laughs> <laughs> But no, no, it's just like because it seems so legit and genuine his change of character and his commitment to that, where he's so resistant. He's like, no, I, I realize I have to help you, doctor, but like, I, 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 I don't want to do this. And he's just like, uh-huh. yeah. He's like, yeah. he's like, I understand there's a rational, logical use for violence for other people. He's like, but for me, <laughs> once, it's, once it starts, it doesn't stop. He's like. It's it's a that's a yeah. tragic yeah I, I love that that's in basics part two mm-hmm. yeah, I think the only other one I want to mention in Voyager is Course Oblivion okay that's the one where everyone and in, in on Voyager and the ship itself is decaying all right and they come to find out that they're from that demon class planet and they're made of that silver goo. And so they're all just clones, basically. But they all have Voyager's memories. So, like, it's that uh, struggle between do we embrace who we are or who we think we are? Yeah, or sort of what we are. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. I had forgotten all about that episode. And and it ends horribly where, like, no one survives. Harry's left and a few others, and they're about to get back to the Demon Class Planet because Janeway waited way too long. I mean, it's not Janeway, it's fake Janeway. Yeah. But, so you can't really pin that one on Janeway. But she waits way too long to turn back to the demon class planet, and none of them make it. Yeah. Voyager shows up, like, the other Voyager shows up to their distress call, like, a minute too late or seconds too late, and they just see, like, the goo. Yeah. 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 That's an, it. I, I like the, 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 um, the sort of dislocation of your ability to identify the meaning of the action. Mm-hmm. Early on in the episode, right? She's like, this this doesn't like there's something just sort of weird and off about what's going on. But the twist is one that's really hard to see coming. 
Mm-hmm. Oh no, they're actually goo from a demon planet. <laughs> and that like you get like that, that pretty early in the episode though, and then you're like, Well, what do we do with that information? Like, how do I feel yeah. with this crew? Like, yeah, like what do I do? Things, with I'm usually now. not one to get wrapped up in alternate characters. Like, I'm not as you know, I'm not mm-hmm. a big fan of the mirror universe. And whenever there's just like a fake version of a character that I know is not going to be there in the next episode, I generally don't care. And, but with these but ones, this, I, this, yeah, it wasn't the case here. Well, I found it, it's because, like, because you're looking at the whole crew and the whole ship. Like, there's yeah. nothing to identify with other than these facsimiles, you know? So, mm, at least for the true. length of the episode, not, you're kind of yeah. stuck there together, which, yeah, yeah, I thought was interesting as well, right? Because you don't, like, you've sort of got no skin in the game except that, of course, you sort of want Harry to succeed <laughs> ultimately, right? Yeah, yeah. So I have a completely original question on this podcast for you, Dave. All right. Is there any tragedy in Deep Space Nine? No. No. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> that question just never lands. <laughs> just can't, I just can't, can't believe you tried that. You just uh, can't stick yeah. to landing with this one. What's going no, on? No, there's, I mean. DS9 deals with tragedy on a lot of levels. It's you know, does. there's just the, the tragedy of Bajor, well. uh, just oh, alone. Yeah. The tragedy and of Cardassian culture. Yeah, you know, the Dominion yeah. War, all that. Like, there are a lot of things that could have gone differently. A lot of large-scale tragedies. Absolutely. I mean, for, get touched like, on from, in many episodes, like again and again and again. Absolutely. I mean, to me, one of the one of the earlier ones is when uh, the Skria show up and they just send them packing. You know, because it didn't have to go that way. It's an it's another one of those ones where yeah, like good intentioned people are trying trying to make it work with maybe yeah. a little resistance, but like, but they're like just, paving a road to the happening. hot place as fast as they can. Ultimately, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, it's um, poor Scrian. Yeah, yeah, poor Scrians. I know one of the ones. I mean, we've we've talked about a lot of the. Uh, bigger examples of tragedy in deep space nine already with like duet and hard time sure sure Uh, and far beyond the stars of course yeah but there are you know there are some other ones that aren't so obvious i don't know here's a question i have for you dave okay is the visitor a tragedy this is one of the ones i wasn't sure if i should include i mean it's sad Mm mm-hmm yeah, but it does yeah. sort of. It does. It is sort of resolved at the end. Yes, um, and in that sense, it sort of it has the structure of a tragedy. But then it all just gets time wiped, essentially, and like. Well, I, I was going to say, ultimately, ultimately, it's a sort of a a tragic comedy, because you know that older Jake won't mm. ever exist. No, and gives up the form of his existence that he knows then. But his existence certainly was tragic, where he just commits his yes. whole life to this thing, and, and so he's certainly at least from the more point of willing to, in his own mind, set things right and allow him and his father to have the life that he hoped they would have, or at least a chance at that. Then he is interested in continuing. But then again, it's there's a transcendence thing there, right? He's a celebrated, uh, successful widely admired writer mm-hmm. with this young person coming to to a journalist coming to interview or a young writer uh 
a big fan. He's in a certain sense, he's had it about as good as he could have in that timeline. And Given maybe there's a moment where been. he sees a kind of <laughs> yeah. sublimity in saying, you know what, I can I can give this over now so that we can sort of reconcile the past. It, but it's an interesting play on history, though, where there's, you know, authors that do these great works and then for some reason just disappear and there's not really any explanation. So it's just like Star Trek offering a crazy explanation to one of those cases, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, you know, is, is that really what's going on with J.D. Salinger or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe. Yeah, I, I, li- you know I like what? that. Very Probably. Much. <laughs> 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 that sneaky Salinger. Salinger. Um, that's right. Quite my timeline, will you, Salinger? His last name is actually Rasmussen. <laughs> <laughs> but um, um, you know, it's a really, a really, uh, certainly a tragic and sad episode of Deep Space Nine. It's the sound of her voice. Oh yeah, because it's oh, just, that's a beautiful, they, beautiful tragedy. They hit you with the horrible just right at the end. They're like and the end, you're like oh yeah. And again, Dude. they really they really build up scenes in which we get to know and care about that character. She's awesome. I was looking forward to seeing her. Yeah. Like, such a brilliant episode. They really don't uh, like you expect them to get there because it's the whole point of the episode. Yeah. It's like, well, obviously they're going to do it because the, the, the whole thing has been them getting the and, you know, and, and the thing is, right, there. we're prepared for that. When it's Worf who's lost somewhere in the middle of the Badlands or whatever, they literally, they go and find him. They, they managed to find him. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and, and so they've pulled this off before, right? They find Odo and Quark crashed on that crazy planet. Yeah. Wherever, right? So. Quark uh, and Odo on a mountain. Yeah. Like we have, <laughs> we have good reason for believing they can find this lady. Uh, but no. Cusack. It's not to be. Captain Cusack. Captain yeah. Cusack. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a that's yeah. a that's a real sad one too because it's just it's just all so pointless. They were all they were time dilated the whole time. Like they were talking yeah. to the past the entire time. It's like to me, it's beautiful and fascinating in the sense that you're looking at the stars, you're looking back in time and looking through a telescope. Like they're saying with the new James Webb telescope, are we possibly going to be able to see the Big Bang itself? Like because mm-hmm. we can see that far, we're going to be able to see real far back in time with this uh, wonderful telescope going up here. That's pretty um, exciting, eh? It is very um, exciting. I'm, you know, I'm will we see back far seat. enough to where everything is just in coate, right? Yeah, um, but it's it's so it's like that. It's like talking with one of these time dilated stars we're looking at. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, when we're talking exactly when we're talking to them, we're just talking to the light that's right here. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, uh, which is what they were doing. They were talking to the light, and yeah, just the information the light that had already dimmed. So far. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah, it's a sad one. Yeah, um, it really is. But again, and, and, you know, very, very beautiful. And one of the great Klingon tragedies that we see is the the plight of Kern in the end in Sons of Moog. Oh, in Sons of Moog, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, a terminally no longer... dishonored Klingon. Yeah, no longer gets to be him. Which, unfortunately, if they'd have just waited a little longer, they get the honor back. But not for the House <laughs> of Moog, I guess, is the thing. No, House of so Moog essentially disappears, right? Yeah. Uh, and he joins the House of Martok. Yeah, I mean, but they could have brought Kern in. You'd think so, right? Uh, like, 
the but I suppose they make the, the decision the they make from where they are at the time. Yeah, they do, and, uh, and that's and, you know that just adds to the tragedy. The fact that maybe with some sort of patience on the behalf of Kern, things could have yeah. gone a lot better. But as well, that's not necessarily who Kern is. No, <laughs> no he was not no. the more he was not the more level headed brother. That's for sure. Galron uh, is a fool. <laughs> yes, but we I must follow him. Brother. And you know, he looks at uh, Worf, and he's just like, "I'll give you this one thing. In your own way, you are an honorable man." He says to Worf, "He's just like it never works out for me. It's a friggin' horrible for me. Your friggin' honor, but you know, in your way, you're honorable." Yeah, yeah, because I'm not sure that all Klingons would look at Worf and his understanding of honor and say. Like, that's a cogent Klingon understanding of how honor works. No, because you know? his is more Federation. Yeah, he's very much got, it's like... It's tempered. It's a yeah. tempered Klingon honor. Exactly. Most of the time. Um, um, yeah. In that vein, too... Well, you know, one of the great tragic episodes is Rocks and Shoals, because as you know, in that episode, Chief O'Brien tears his pants. Indeed. It's soft. He tears his pants, and uh, very sad. So they're really in trouble after that. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, once your pants are torn, what are you going to do? <laughs> it's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is a that is an interesting. Ah, oh, it's an interesting episode, though. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really kind with, of beautiful with, trend with the Jem'Hadar who are being set up by uh-huh. their Vorta to die. Yeah, and like and Cisco's trying to talk the Gem Hadar out of it. He's just like, just go shoot your Vorda. He's the worst. And they're just like, yeah, it's not the way of things. And they thought that's not going to work. We're going to walk He's... right into your fire. Yeah, uh, and you know we see that again in the Vorta. Like the there's a lot of tragedy in the the Gem Hadar. In this oh, show. they're just created for use. You know, yeah, it's brutal. I mean, we see and that again. They're not as subservient show, um, and mindless to it. Is like they're the, they try to get you to think early. No, no, not at all. They're quite, they can actually be kind of deep. Like mm-hmm. in the episode where they decide to stop fighting Worf. So like, yeah. I can kill him, oh, but I yeah. cannot defeat this guy. Yeah. All I can do is beat him to a pulp. They're really, they're an interesting species that way. But we, like we see them be treated that way in the ship as well, right? Like the Vorta who's trying to kind of get her own situation straight. Well, perfectly yeah. willing to sacrifice as many Jem'Hadar as she needs to, right? The ship is just tragic in the sense that there was almost no reason why they couldn't have made a deal. Like, nope. everything is going to this deal and the, the, they just want to get their founder, their baby founder out of there. Cisco doesn't care about this baby founder. He just wants the ship because uh-huh. that's a big find for the Federation during the war. So it'd be their first Jem'Hadar ship they can study and yeah. So, so, so well, it figures back into the series later, right? So they come to this agreement, like not agreement, but they come to this impasse. Him and Laris, I believe her name uh-huh. may be, or Eris, Eris or Laris. I like Laris. The Vorta. Yeah. She's just like, okay, fine. Look, cut the bullshit. Just let us go in there. Obviously, you know there's something we want in that ship. Just let us go get it. You can keep the ship, and we'll go away. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, oh, you know what? I think Cisco could probably go along with this. You're thinking, he's just like, how about you tell me what it is, and I'll bring it out to you. And that's where the the, the, the that's where the like I uh, just it. This is all falling apart. And that's where the whole thing crumbles. It. And she's like, 
it seems like we're coming to an impasse. He's just like, I think we've already been at one. Like Cisco is not bending on this at all because they've yeah. already betrayed him once. They, when he went out to talk to her the first time, they sneak a Jemhadar in there. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why. That's why Muniz is dying. And right. Uh, so I mean, he's Kike. he's not going to let them back on that ship. No. Uh, yeah, and, like, and the good's going to lose. But they're somewhere. both being genuine like they can't really yep. trust each other they have no reason to trust each other but they are both telling the truth if it's just so, so like you're right like it feels like there could have been some accommodation reached it just failed to obtain yeah like if he could trust them to go in and get the founder yeah they probably would have yeah and she doesn't and she doesn't trust him to bring them a founder even though he probably would have yep he doesn't Oh, it's like just he, it's, he's, you're, they're it's right. still a life to him that if they can save, he'd be like, okay, you know, save your founder. Yeah, I mean, he's still got that sort of Federation impulse in there, right? Yeah, just, uh, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's just uh, a tragedy on that level. And, uh, the only other uh, yeah. thing I think I we really need to talk about here is, oh, you know what? Maybe there's two. Another, there's another O'Brien must suffer one that maybe is worth mentioning. That's whispers, where he's that time dilated version of himself. Oh and, yeah, and, and he keeps seeing himself them, die. Yeah, that is oh, the worst. And the one of them is just like you know, tell Keiko I love, and then it dies. Like, oh oh god, this is horrible. <laughs> it also honestly could feature in a comedy episode though, because some yeah, of those yeah, deaths yeah. are pretty hilarious. Oh yeah, it's both, and we're like, <laughs> like you know oh, what? The, there I go the again. saddest Deep Space Nine episodes sometimes are some of the funniest too. They they it's they true. walk that line really well. Yeah, so it yeah. doesn't hurt. But I so think bad. for um <laughs> one of the one of the episodes, we've talked about this episode many times oh, yeah. already, but um one of the episodes that to me embodies a kind of uh, political tragedy as much as it does personal and ethical is in the pale moonlight. Mm-hmm. Where I mean we see Cisco walk himself into something and ask himself the whole episode, how much did I know what I was walking into there? Did I was like, did I really know it? Did I let him walk me into it? What happened? And the way I kind of see that is Cisco has his that's Cisco's locutus moment and his um uh-huh. moment that we were talking about with Archer, where he's just like, and you know, Janeway's Tuvik's moment. Yeah. But but they don't have a choice really. He does. Oh yeah, no, he wakes up and chooses Cisco, violence in that moment. Cisco assimilates himself. Yeah. Right? He become and you know he knows that he's like I can live with it. And but, I, by the end of the episode, he knows it's that's happened. like the really interesting turn, you know. And he's yeah. you know in the end of the day, yeah. Like I, in the words of uh, in the words of that the drone, I, I will adapt. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it really is one of those things that distinguishes him from other captains. Uh, yeah, he's the one he most likely to make choose that a choice. positive. Well, a kind of Kantian positive evil, uh, because mm-hmm. he's like, "Yep, that's going to make it work." Does it and there? Not he really does another it way to get the, it done right now. Gassing the Maki colony and like, yeah, right? He, yeah, he so he believes a little bit more in the ends justify the means. Than well, I think in some ways he's also captain. he's so much more attached to the like the frontline decision making as well. Like he's yeah, thrust and, into and, this and, and, and like the situation where he has to make these decisions. As a, as a political reality, whereas I think for mm-hmm. for somebody like Picard, it's much more about this set of ideals that express themselves in a certain kinds of political realities and mm-hmm. diplomatic realities. And for Kirk, it's it's 
like he's just he's running roughshod through space. Um, so is know. Archer. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And so is Janeway, but it's not her fault. Him. She's got a place to be. <laughs> <laughs> but Cisco's not explorer. Like the rest of them, all pretend at least to be explorers. There's none of that with Cisco. They do a couple little missions on shuttles into the Gamma Quadrant, but you don't. No. they don't really talk about that much. No, being uh, explorers on Deep Space Nine. He's a very working captain in the sense of, uh, like, yeah, like running running that area of space. Well, um, you know what? I just one more uh, tragedy in the new Picard series. I think I want to mention here. I think we're winding it down here. But what's that? The death of Data, man, is uh-huh. tragic because he is such a force for good. Could potentially live maybe forever. And gets like the shortest lifespan of, of oh yeah of most of the characters we see. Yeah, it's just sad. And he's unique in the universe. It's freaking horrible. Yeah, yeah. There was a moment. It's not when we fair, first Dave. Meet... It's not fair. When blue we skies. first meet, Eric there are no blue Sung, skies here. <laughs> I had hoped for a moment that Data was just pretending to be Eric Sung. Oh, me too. That he like spun himself up a body and. The whole thing we're going to find Gets is to this be sort human. of like slightly jaded data, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, who's who's then Picard? You know he. Had, but the the meeting we get is, uh, oh my god! Like what a heart wrenching, beautiful goodbye. We are such stuff as dreams are made of. But in the end, yeah, let 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 me die, right? I'm okay with going. I'm not yeah. okay with it, Data. <laughs> exactly. Didn't think of me. But yeah. you know, the to summarize, the perhaps the greatest tragedy in all of Star Trek is that, at least for you and I and our listeners, we don't get to see the Star Trek future. We're hoping to pave a path, you know, make it make it happen. But yeah, it's, the 24th century is a ways away. Yeah. But, you know, it's still a few years yet to 2063. We haven't started the Third World War yet. And we Two years till the Bell Riots. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> maybe we'll chart a brighter future toward warp travel. We've accidentally made a bubble already. True. Yeah. Well, on that note, all things end. End transmission. Oh, wait. Huh? The skies were supposed to be blue. That's what I thought. And now they're purple. Oh, no. It must have been a red matter situation. Um, I'm going to just plot a course in for away from here. You know what? What about... Maybe those Romulans... Maybe we can... uh... Running into are aware of this as well. Romulans do love red matter. I just reroute the EPS conduit. We might get above 3.4 for a few minutes. What are you saying over there? It, it, do you... Do you think the gig's still on? Do you think... Well... You have a gig on a blue planet. We can just... Is, is it still on on a purple planet? What could a harmless electromagnetic signal do? What do you, what do you think it's like? What, what do you think's going on down there? We should go check. Uh, subspace comms must be up. You know what? Let's do this old school. Let's go check first and then look at our sensors. <laughs> this is going to go great. 
<laughs> All right, I'm putting in a course for descent. <laughs> We're on a mission from Nug. <laughs> <laughs> Take us to your gala. Um.